Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. Be on the lookout as well for my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, which is being published in September 2020. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at www.cabotrisk.com. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest today. Tom Morin is author, also author of a new book, Your Best Work, Creating the Working Life That's Right for You. He's also a speaker, a consultant, and a coach. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Ed. Pleasure to be here with you today. Fantastic. How's it going? Fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny day here and uh, really excited to uh, dig into this conversation with you. Great. Well, it is not a beautiful and sunny day here in New England, so (laughs) I envy your situation. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, So when everybody, when anybody asks me about, uh, you know, tell me about yourself, my mind uh, immediately goes to work. I mean, I I always say to people, I don't often tell them where I was born, where I'm from, or my uh, my family life. Even though all of that's incredibly important, I I talk about work. So I began my uh, my working life in the military. Uh, spent eleven years there, and uh, then uh, moved into the uh, corporate world. I had a a short uh, stint doing uh, industrial work, working on a, a drilling rig, which was incredibly dangerous at the time. But yeah, and then uh, after the after working in the corporate world, leading various teams uh, in regulatory compliance, occupational health and safety, technology, I'm kind of into my really big second career transition, which is uh, now being able to write and uh, speak about what I'm uh, incredibly passionate about, which is creating a, a better world of work for ourselves and future generations, and then also helping leaders do their best when it matters most. And I would imagine in the work that you do, that you work with leaders who, in some ways, while they may not come to you to be braver, actually need to do things a little bit differently or say things a little bit differently to be braver? Absolutely. And uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's one of the cornerstones of really moving forward in our, moving, in, in our working lives is, uh, is understanding the, uh, the call to bravery and the call to courage that uh, is present almost every day in our working lives. So absolutely. Yeah, it's not something somebody thinks a lot about. They don't go home every day and say, wow, I was really brave today or on a scale of one to 10, I give myself a 6.8. But it is something to your point that we all exist with every day. And whether it's personal bravery or courage or professional bravery or courage, this is something that all people experience at all times. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, the, the, the call to courage and the call to bravery in the workplace is often very uncomfortable. And uh, it, it uh, some people need help re- both recognizing the call and then moving forward. And uh, I just hope I'm able to contribute in a small way to that. Well, I'm sure you will. And, you know, I love that kind of metaphor of a call to bravery, because that's what this podcast is about, which is to give people stories or examples or experiences that people have had similar to theirs that required a call to bravery. It required them to say something that needed to be said or do something that needed to be done that of many emotions or feelings included bravery. How about you, Tom? When you think of bravery in the workplace, what are some words or phrases that come to mind? Yeah, the the uh, the first one that that comes to mind really is 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 based on not just my own experience, but uh, my ex- my experience of my my clients, and and that is, you know, I defined I define courage or bravery as the the capacity to contribute to other people's and ourselves our well being in the face of fear. So it's normal to be afraid in situations, but if we can step up and contribute to well being during those fearful situations, that to me is what real bravery is. And I love that word you use because we do try to help listeners organize bravery for purposes of taking action. So I love the word that you use, capacity, Mm -hmm. because there are some folks who we see who we feel have a huge capacity for courage. They do things weekly or monthly that a lot of people would say I couldn't do or don't want to do. And others don't seem to have any capacity for bravery or courage. And that's just a, a way of uh, organizing it. Is that is that kind of how you're thinking about it or modeling it in your mind? Yeah. And, and I really do believe that we all have that capacity, but there's often something standing in the way of so-called accessing that capacity. And there's one thing that I, I think of, and it's a quote by uh, the great Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton. And he said that optimism is true moral courage. So I think if we can be optimistic, that almost enables us to access that uh, that capacity for courage. So I always say, uh, you know, optimism and courage kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, certainly in these days when we're experiencing what we're currently experiencing, optimism seems to be an area that a lot of people want to go to. They want to have a future-focused perspective on what we're experiencing and being optimistic that we're going to get through what we're experiencing. And a lot of folks would say that that takes, to some degree, some bravery and courage to do that. Absolutely. I think uh, optimism is nearly impossible without courage. So if people can recognize that by being optimistic, they're being courageous, I think the two can feed on each other and we can really move forward. A lot of the guests on our show, Tom, have come with a story about how they have shown bravery in the workplace. Do you have a story for us today? Yeah, I've been reflecting on that. And uh, actually, the one that comes to mind uh, was actually, a I don't want to say a crisis, but um, a bit of a low point in my corporate career. Tell us about it. Sure. So about, uh, I would say, 17 years or so. After I left the military, I was working in the corporate world and, you know, leading large teams. And I had just taken over one team that had a, you know, a really poor performer on it. And like all, you know, good leaders who care and who are, who are trained and working within large organizations, we do everything we can to, you know, help people improve and move them through their, their difficulties for a, for a range of reason, reasons. One, of course, it's, it's often the right thing to do, but 
Also, it costs a lot of money to just, you know, give up on people and try to find somebody else for that role. So, but all those efforts had hadn't really worked out and they hadn't worked out for the leader previously to me who, who ran that team. So um, moving forward, we decided that this person was going to be so-called exited from the organization. And I was called to a meeting with my vice president and my uh, director of human resources. And I thought it was, you know, all said and done. And I'm, the, you know, I'm the leader of that team. So I, I just imagined they were looking for a bit of information. But in that meeting, they told me that, uh, you know, Tom, we really want you to, to do more to help this person along, to help him improve. And uh, I was actually quite resistant. And I, I said, you know, I've been trying to do this for close to a year now. It's not working out. Here's all the data. By the way, all the decisions have been made. The paperwork's in place. Let's move forward. And they looked across the table at me and they said, Tom, you know, almost, yeah, I don't think they said it directly, but it was like, like them saying, you're not listening to us. You need to do more. And I, uh, I kind of felt pretty upset and I pushed back and the meeting ended. Next morning, I was called into another meeting and I found out that if, if I didn't do what they said, it would be me who was leaving the organization. So I was angry. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this. You know, as a leader, we, we really feel competent in what we're doing. So what I did is uh, I, I had a bit of soul searching and uh, I had an opportunity to uh, either leave that organization and, uh, you know, I had another job that, that was available to me, but something clicked in my, you know, little brain. And uh, I just saw it as, a, as an opportunity to be courageous and to try to see like the optimistic path forward. So I buckled down and tried to understand, you know, how I had gotten myself into this you know, this uh, state of disfavor with uh, the organization, you know, with because of this situation. And I, I, I really thought that, you know, if I, if I work hard, I can, you know, make the best of this situation. I became optimistic and it was uncomfortable. But when I look back on that now, it was probably the greatest period of growth. And I don't think I could have grown and become a better leader and, it, you know, eventually, of course, excelled in that organization had I not felt the fear of potentially losing my job and answered that fear with, I'd like to think optimism and courage. So that story, I, I, I talk about it a lot um, when I'm, I'm working with new leaders or even you know uh, experienced leaders, and they are experiencing a lot of resistance to their, their methods in the workplace. And it's a time to pause and be courageous and, and look forward. Well, it sounds like one of the things that you did was create a new context for the situation, right? It was presented to you in a particular way mm -hmm. and you had to go off and kind of reshuffle the pieces and come back looking at it a little bit differently. Yeah, that's true. And and I like the way you just said I created a new context because, you know, that's really what we do. We have a choice and we're creative. And I think we we need to use that capacity again, we'll use that word for, for choosing and being creative in the most courageous way and the most optimistic way. And I'd like to think I, I, I did that in that moment. A couple of other things that I love about your story, because I think most of our listeners have experienced this. One, many of us have inherited a team of people or we've come in new to a role or an organization and Almost every situation, there's a poor performer, and let's just categorize them as people who probably shouldn't even be at the company, poor performer, but somebody who's been allowed to survive 
at the organization and we come in and you know on day two we're told oh and by the way you have to get rid of it <laughs> you're like well wait a minute but this is a very common situation and it does require a degree of bravery to figure out what's the best way to move forward and sometimes resetting your context is a is a way to do it I agree. And, and you know, uh, when there are, and, you know, not everybody's the, of course, not the top performer on our teams. We have a lot of uh, middle of the road performers and occasionally that poor performer. But that poor performer can also be, you know, we might also experience it as a threat. So, for example, if, you know, Tom's on your team and Tom's not performing well, Ed might see, might think, you know, hey, Tom's putting my leadership role at risk. If everybody on my team doesn't so-called make me look good. I've got somebody who, you know, can go rogue or is going to do all kinds of terrible things to make me look bad. So it creates fear and our, you know, our reaction to fear that fight or flight, you know, that, that can be detrimental and, and also costly to an organization. So for example, we, we just ignore the bad behavior or we say, oh my God, that person's got to go. But again, if we can be called to courage, called to bravery, be optimistic, then I really think we're giving ourselves the best chance to be a, be a good leader, and we're giving that person the best chance to improve. Absolutely. I love that way that you approach that particular situation. The other thing I love about your story is something most leaders don't think about, which is if you do have a problem employee in your work group and you're not addressing it effectively, you become the problem and you become the person that people start to look at to say, well, Ed's not doing anything about this poor performer. Ed's the problem, right? Not just the, the poor performer themselves. And it sounds as though you felt that way a little bit in this role. I, I did. And it also, it, I, you know, I, I, I was the poor performer because I was, you know, in their eyes and in my leadership's eyes, uh, you know, avoiding this problem. And I also want to mention that, uh, you know, that's why we have leaders in organizations. We don't have them there because everything runs so well and everybody works well together. They're there because there's problems that need these, you know, uh, dedicated, smart, hardworking individual humans, we'll call, you know, the leaders to sort out the problems. So imagine if you've, you know, many of my clients dread managing performance. And my comment to them often is, you know, it's probably the number one reason you're here and it's the number one skill you can have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm looking now, Tom, at your new book, Your Best Work, Create the Working Life That's Right for You. I look forward to reading it. It's on my reading list. I just got it on Friday. Uh, but one of the things you do in the book is you highlight some quotes that uh, renowned people have made. I'd love to read you a couple of them and certainly would love to hear your comments on them. Please. So the first one is uh, Brene Brown, and it, uh, her quote is, imperfections are not inadequacies, they are reminders that we're all in this together. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. And and I think, um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, great world leaders and leaders of groups of faith and, uh, you know, philosophers who often say that, you know, we, we really can't be compassionate, kind, or perhaps even helpful to others until we can see our own needs and, and inadequacies and where we need help. And we, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot and built a lot of her career around the idea of vulnerability. But vulnerability also means really accepting that we're a little broken. And if we can be 
you know, if, if we can be kind to ourselves, maybe we can be kind to someone else who, you know, needs, needs help and challenges. But if we hold ourselves up as the, the model of perfection and, and, you know, in the workplace, it does support that as we move forward and advance in our working lives, we'd like to think that, you know, we've got the right stuff and we're, we're, we, we must be doing everything right. And then we, we kind of start expecting other people to be, you know, have the right stuff and do everything right. But if we can see that, you know, we have our own challenges, it makes us a little more compassionate and, and I would say more creative and helpful when we're, we're trying to in, improve or support somebody else. Well, the word she uses that I love is imperfections, because one of the challenges we have in organizations is that, to your comment, as people become more senior, they get this mindset that they're also supposed to be more perfect and that they don't make mistakes and they're not transparent and they're not vulnerable. And in reality, they are human. And because they are human, they're not perfect and they can make mistakes. And so it's good to remember that imperfections are not inadequacies. The second quote I love a little bit later in the book is by Paul Tillich, which is decision is a risk rooted in the courage of being free. What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, that one's uh, particularly uh, meaningful uh, for me. And it uh, that idea, and I'll just go into it a little bit, is actually foundational to uh, how we create uh, meaningful work. So when he says um, decision is you know rooted in being free and courage, we often, uh, when we look out in the world, we, uh, you know, I, I often tell people that the world of work and perhaps even our lives is is like being given a menu. And on the on the menu in a restaurant, there's all these things that we can choose. And we, you know, we're in a, say, a, a Thai restaurant and we want to have Italian food. Well, I'm sorry, Thai, you know, it's only Thai food on the menu, no Italian food. And, and I think where the where the knowledge comes or the, the, sorry, the freedom comes is we're actually free to leave that restaurant and go to an Italian restaurant. But a lot of us are, we feel that, no, no, I can only pick from the menu I've given. So when Paul Tillich talks about decision is rooted in the courage of being free, it takes courage to deviate from the menu that's been presented to you in life. And, and once you see how, how many more choices there actually are, it's a little terrifying and takes courage because you're actually responsible for the choices you make. So when Tillich talks about decision is rooted in the courage to be free, we need courage to make decisions because we realize that, you know what, we're actually responsible for the decisions we make. And it takes courage that to, to shoulder that responsibility. Well, fantastic, Tom. Listen, it has been really great speaking with you today. Are there ways that folks can get in touch with you? For sure. Uh, my my primary social media is uh, LinkedIn. You can find find me on LinkedIn. But uh, the best way to get a hold of me and see a little more about what I do and the message I I, uh, I put out there is through my website, which is workfeelsgood.com. Fantastic, Tom. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and all the best. Great. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.